becoming a father and being a dad really motivates you to become, uh, you know, strive to be the best person that you can be. So uh, that's really a driving force behind everything that I do. This is episode number 128 with Alec Lace. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the American Snippets podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Once again, my name is Dave Brown, and I'm here with my co-host and partner, Barbara Allen. And you know, each week, we bring you an exceptional American and their story, one that will not only inspire you, but one that can propel you into action in your own life. And whether they are celebrities or small-town heroes, all of our guests are shining examples of the American spirit because they prove that with hard work, focus, grit, determination, and never settling for easy, that you too can design any life you choose. But unfortunately, right now, there is a big segment of society that doesn't want to hear any of that. They don't want to see you harness the greatness inside of you. They don't want you to embrace the simple fact that there has never been a better time to achieve more and live a greater lifestyle than you may have ever believed possible. Stop listening to the naysayers and the negative Nancys of the world. Take your life to the next level. Go after your American dream and join us in spreading a message of positivity, possibility, and patriotism. I mean, after all, it is why we started this podcast. It's why we started American Snippets. It's why we bring on the guests that we do to share their stories of success and to grow a community that celebrates all the freedom and opportunities we have in this country. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite you to join our community. It's a Facebook group. So all you have to do is go to facebook.com forward slash game inner circle, join our community, help us spread our message of positivity, possibility, and patriotism, contribute to the group, uh, ask questions. You know, the group can help you, you can help them. And we just would love to have you be a part of it. So again, that's facebook.com forward slash game inner circle. All right. So on to this week's interview and guest, uh, Alec Lace was just in the eighth grade when he began down a path it would take him years to recover from. His addictions to drugs, alcohol, and gambling brought his marriage to the brink of collapse and nearly cost him the chance to be a father to his four children. Today, Alec is basking in the joy of a clean lifestyle, a restored love to his marriage, and the gift of being a father, which he cherishes above all else. He's taken his own experience and used it as fuel to mentor other men on being a great father via his podcast. Alec interviews famous fathers from all over the country, calling their insight on being the best father they can be on his podcast, First Class Fatherhood. So listen in as he shares his own story of how he restored health and wellness to his own life and to his family, and why this mission of helping other fathers is so important to him. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Alec Lace. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. I'm here today with Alec Lace, who is a podcast host on a mission to change the narrative of fatherhood and family life. 
He's doing so by interviewing some of the most famous fathers in the world, some of whom we've also had here on American Snippets, which is awesome when we see that overlap. He then blends their paternal insight with his own experience and his own life story, which is impressive and challenging and inspiring. We're going to get to all of that all while working full-time as a railroad mechanic and also for kicks, I guess, driving for Uber in his spare time. And also, of course, filling his most important roles as a husband and a father of four. He is the host of First Class Fatherhood, and he is here with us today on American Snippets, and we are very excited to have him. Alec, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Barb, it's an absolute honor to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we have a lot to talk about with you. Your story is so unique uh, and interesting. Um, We're just going to kind of bounce around and see where it takes us, and we're going to teach our audience a little bit too, lessons from your own story, lessons from your guests. We were just talking about, for instance, some other little thing, which to you is like no big deal, but it's like just that idea that I'd never had before. So, you know, that's the things I love about doing these interviews and meeting people is you always learn something new, uh, you know, and carry something away about it. I see on your website, you just very simply describe yourself as a 30-year-old guy, luckily married to a beautiful woman and proud father of four awesome children. Three boys and a princess. And that's like, that's your bio. You feel like that's all you need to explain about yourself. And I love that. I think um, it just speaks right to the heart of what you value most in the world and serves as like a good example to everybody about what is most valuable when you boil it all down. But you're also much more than that. And you do much more than that in the outside world. So let's talk a little bit. We'll take it from the beginning. I know you have your own story of challenge and struggle and triumph and all that, which could have been enough for anybody to just stop them in their tracks and never get back up and get going and achieve anything to where you have today. So you're open to talking a little bit about your your backstory and what led you to the point where you decided it's time to make that change and rebuild and come out stronger. Yeah, absolutely, Barb. And it's and it's a long journey as it is for everybody. And and yeah. one of the biggest things for myself is um my mindset and my philosophy was really what held me back most of my life. And I never even knew that. But I mean, I grew up idolizing the wrong way of life. And I put all my focus and energy into the wrong area. Whereas I grew up thinking it was uh, the best way of getting ahead in life was to get over on people. I grew up looking to con, lie, cheat, steal. I became addicted to alcohol at a very young age, addicted to gambling, uh, into drugs. And uh, I just went you know, I was very focused and determined, but all going in the in the wrong direction. So uh, it took me a lot of hard lessons uh, to figure out that, you know, something is wrong and that something is me. You know, I was the problem. You know, I was what was holding myself back. So it wasn't until, I mean, many different events. I mean, it's hard to pinpoint to one exact event, but uh, at some point I started to look into improving myself and started to study personal development. And that really is what led to me changing my entire philosophy and the way that I looked at life and it turned it all around for me. So you said from a young age, you became addicted to various things that held you back. That's, you know, as a mom, right? I look at, I have four boys and they're a little older now, you know, in college and wrapping up high school. But I remember looking at them at the ages of where you talk about and thinking, I got time, you know, before. I have to worry about those things, right? But I guess you don't. I guess I can hit like at an early age. Yeah, my oldest is in eighth grade. He's 13. And I look at him now and I think like in eighth grade, I was running the football pools in my school. You know, I was, <laughs> I was the guy that, you know, 
that people came to to get bets in when I was in eighth grade. I started drinking when I was in eighth grade, you know, and by the time, you know, I was in high school, I was already an alcoholic, you know. So I look at these things and it's kind of weird when you look at like, I don't I can't picture my son smoking cigarettes and doing these things. But it's like it was a realistic life for me. And it was kind of different. I mean, I grew up with my parents had me later in life. Uh, my dad was 50 years old when he had me. And I was the last of seven children between him and my mom. So I grew up, everybody in my family drank, smoked, and uh, that was just like a, a way of living. And not making an excuse because I have a brother that's only a year and a half older than me and he never drank or smoked. So it's not, that wasn't the reason, but I really, I couldn't wait to do all those things, Barb. Like I was the kid, I was like, man, I'm going to drink, smoke. I couldn't wait. It looked so appealing to me and I was dying to get into it. And, and I got into it and it took me a long time to get out of it. So... I, I want to go into that area a little bit, even just the last sentence you just said, it took you a while to get out of it. Because one of the things that we find and people come to us about and we've dealt with in our own lives, as we all have, right, is that when you're in something and you're in so deep and it's got such a hold on you, you know, you get to that point where there's a decision to make. Like either you look at that enormous mountain that's like on top of you and feels like it's crushing you and you cannot possibly get out from under and say, well, I'll never get out from under this. So I may as well just, you know, stay right here until it just crushes you to death. Right. Or you make that decision to just start chipping away at it. One rock at a time, even if you have to, till you get out. What, um, you know, what are some things that you did that helped you like make that decision and then helped you actually follow through on it to just start chipping away? Cause it's not like you can say, you know what? I'm going to change this. And then all of a sudden, all your addictions go away. All your problems go away. All your debt go away. Like it's a, you have to commit to that like several times a day, really. So yeah. what are some things you did to help you do that? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, it was, um, it was a routine of trying and trying, but I, I think it's like it was, the minute you plant like a garden in the backyard, all the weeds and the bugs already start <laughs> to attack it. So every time you say you're going to commit to stopping drinking, everything starts to turn against you and, and say, oh yeah, how bad do you really want it? Because that's what happened to me. Each time I tried to make a change for the better, it seemed like things started to get worse on me. Like my parents passed away when I was in my early 20s and uh, I had been trying to battle with my addiction at that point and that knocked me for a loop um, and, and sent me deeper down the wrong path. And then different, different things. Like I, I stopped drinking one time for three years and then my best friend since childhood, um, you know, I, I'm the godfather of one of his kids. He's the godfather of one of mine. Uh, he committed suicide and that threw yeah. me for a loop. And uh, I mean, I had stopped drinking uh, for three years at that point. I was still smoking weed and still um, gambling and still doing other things. But I had gotten a hold of alcohol and that knocked me off the wagon. And uh, I kind of always left a back door open in my mind, like, well, if something happens, I'm going to go to that to that familiar place that I've always gone to, to escape that pain. And that's, that's kind of what I always went, reverted back to every time, like things went wrong or everything went downhill. I would just give up and go back to what I knew was familiar. And for me, I think, um, uh, kind of eliminating that as a possibility in my mind and seeing myself as a sober person. And what would that look like if I was sober? How would I be if I was sober? Who would I be? And what could I become? What would the possibilities be? And I started to focus more on who I would be as a sober person and stop reverting back and getting pulled back to the past of who I used to be. I, I started to study. Uh, I did a lot of reading uh, of guys like Napoleon Hill and James Allen 
um, different philosophies and stuff like that, just to see what other uh, mindsets were available out there. I read a lot of the Navy SEAL books and, and read a lot of their mindset. And, um, and you see, like, if it's possible for other people to have these success stories, it's possible for me. Uh, so and one, one of the seals that I read the book called Fearless about Adam Brown um, and his struggles with alcohol or uh, drug addiction and overcoming it to become a SEAL Team 6 operator really was inspiring to me. So the more inspiring stories that I read, the more I thought, hey, why not me? Why can't this be possible for me? And the more I started to have that mindset the more I started to break that chain away from the old guy that I used to be that always reverted back to that comfort zone. So it's a multiple things. It's not one uh, specific event that I could point to that say, oh, this is the moment that I woke up and said, I'm never going to drink anymore. I mean, I surrendered. I gave up the fight. Like I used to battle every day with, I'm going to stay sober today. I'm going to stay sober today. Now I can't even tell you how many days it's been since I've been sober. I don't keep track. It's not a battle anymore. I don't fight with it anymore. I've given up the fight. Um, so I, I don't focus on, on alcohol or drugs or gambling anymore, even though it surrounds me and everything that I do. Like you mentioned there, I drive Uber every weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And all I do is drive people who are drunk, going to get drunk or talking about how they got drunk. So it's a constant reminder. It's in my face all the time. Um, I see it everywhere I go and it's always there, but it doesn't tempt me anymore. And I no longer struggle with it. Yeah, that's great. Well, you said a lot of things right there, which, um, kind of caught my my mind there. Um, and I want to dig into things that maybe other people haven't necessarily brought up. Um, you know, you talk about the, the power that it had for you to focus on other people's stories and get the inspiration out of those. And maybe that just strikes a chord with me because that's exactly what helped me flip my world around. Like that was the first step I took too. Um, but I haven't really heard many other people talk about that. And I want to just go into that for a minute because all of those people, it wasn't just like, one story you had to read. You didn't just like read one book or listen to one story and say, oh, I get it. Now I'm going to like do this, right? It took like listening to several people's stories, listening to se and probably several different styles of delivery, right? Personalities, messages, incidents, and all that. Um, do you, so was it like, is that accurate? Was it like the culmination of all of those, like the constant reinforcement and, and repetition that sort of helped you? Yeah, hundred percent, Barb. And I'm, I'm like I say, I'm an, I have an addictive personality, and yeah. reading, reading has been a blessing in my life. Once I, I never read a book in my life until you know maybe about five years ago, and never a full book anyway. And uh, it, I, I really fell in love with reading and started to gain a real big thirst for knowledge. I'm a faith-based person as well, so I rediscovered my faith during this entire journey. And I, I'm just fascinated by people who have been there and done that. And if there's an opportunity to learn from their stories, why not do it? So I read at least a book every week. And then usually after I read the book, I'll reread it through the audio book if it's available. So I really hammer the point home. And there's several books that I'll go back and reread uh, at least, you know, once or twice every year now or, you know, every six months or so. There's some staple ones that I go back just to kind of reinforce those messages that really struck a chord with me. What is that reading list? Do you know of uh, yeah, think, yeah, think and grow rich as a man thinketh. Uh, th those are the top two that I usually go back to. Anything with James Allen, really. I mean, I read, read, read and reread his stuff all the time. So um, those two, I would say, are the top. You know, and then uh, I'll I'll throw in like a um, like a, a Jim Rohn. Uh, I'll listen to a lot of Jim Rohn or like Les Brown and stuff like that while I'm driving Uber too to kind of reinforce those messages. You know, uh, constantly. I'm, I'm continuing continuing to learn, grow, change, and develop every day. And that's really my goal is to just try to figure out a better way today, how to get better, wiser, smarter today than I was yesterday. And I'm just, I got a real thirst and a hunger for that. 
So what was it? I mean, it's not like you don't have a lot going on in your life, right? You know, from your own like personal rebirth, you want to call it that, to your jobs, like you work full time and you got the Uber and you have a wife and you have four children. What made you look around at your world and say, I can also fit in this podcast and then not just like start the podcast, which I mean, I know how time consuming and labor intensive it is to commit to that and put that out steadily, but turn it into like a mad success in like a year, which I, I hate you a little bit for, but I, but I also admire, <laughs> I don't hate you, you know, but um, I, I know like I have a huge respect for that because that is no small feat to do. So like what drove you to say, I have this idea and I'm going to start this podcast and I'm going to fit it into my life and make it work. Well, and one of the most important things I, f- I failed to mention there when I was talking about the changes is becoming a father and being a dad really motivates you to become, uh, you know, strive to be the best person that you can be. So uh, that's really a driving force behind everything that I do. And one of the things that aggravated me the most driving Uber part time, I used to drive a regular cab for years part time until Uber came along and a little reluctant at first, but finally eased my way into it. And I, I love it now as a side hustle. But one of the things that would drive me crazy is a lot of the people that I drive around are young men, either fresh out of college or in college, and they have this negative uh, outlook on fatherhood and family life and what it's all about. Whenever I would say, yeah, I got four kids, they would look at me like I had four heads. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, it's too expensive to have kids. Why would you want to bring a kid into this world? I could never imagine having kids. Um, so they have this like negative perception of what fatherhood and becoming a family man is all about. And they think of it as the end of their life. They always see the dad portrayed on TV as the guy that's never getting any action. He's never having any fun. He's always got his head down. Life's always kind of kicking him around. And it's always the single guy that's celebrated that's sleeping with multiple women. He's traveling the world. He's living the life. He's, he's got no um, uh, responsibility. So they make that the idol in many of the films and TVs and books that we see. So I, was, I wanted to find a way uh, to get a message out there to the young men that, hey, fatherhood's something that you can embrace and it will change your life forever in a positive way. And it just so happens that at the same time, my two older boys were trying to figure out how to start a YouTube channel, which I knew nothing about. So I was trying to tell them, hey, look, it's going to take a lot more effort than just turning on the phone and fooling around. You've got to really put some work into it. So I decided to look into it for them and discovered what podcasting was because I didn't even know what it was. And I seen that it was audio only. And I was like, wow, well, this is interesting. This could be a way that I could show them how to put work into a project like this. And I could try to put this message out that I've been dying to put out. So it kind of all came together, you know, at a point there. And I put the message out there. And within a short bit of time, the response started to come back from dads that were listening, which surprised me. And then uh, before I knew it, it started to snowball into a, you know, a really popular show. And then I had the first uh, about 40 episodes in uh, or, or so, I had uh, actor Dean Kane from Lois and Clark and, um, and several other pictures. He came on the podcast and had such a really good experience with the conversation and liked the vision of the show that he promoted it on his, you know, his social media feed, Twitter and, and, and Instagram and stuff like that. And then it shot to number one on iTunes in Kids and Family. And from there, it just started to get, you know, uh, more attention and more guests. And I've been knocking out five episodes a week. I'm up to episode 289. What? Yeah, I'm up to episode five, two. Ep- five episodes a week. Yep, 289 <laughs> episodes in a year and a half I've done. 
Holy, how do you even, how do you do that? How do you do five episodes a week? Like I'm every, focused, you yeah, time management, time management yeah, helps. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you find time. That's the thing. A lot of people always say, well, I don't have time for that. We all have the same amount yeah, of time yeah. to use. It's just utilizing the time that you have and not wasting it. You know? So that's what I've tried to do is it's that time that I used to spend thinking about drinking or going to get drunk or drinking right. or gambling or smoking or doing all that. I've, I've, I have, I've got all this newfound time on my hands and I put it to good use. And that's why I've been able to do things like this. So how do you find and get your guests then? Like, you know, because you're, you're looking for a specific guest. I mean, there's a lot of people who are fathers, so you got that going for you, but not everybody who's a father makes a good guest, you know, on the podcast show or something of value to offer to your audience. So how do you find them and even get, you know, like, how did you get Dean Kane, for instance? Like what inspired you to even go after him or did he come after you? Well, one of the things that I look, no, I, I went after him. One of the things that I look for, uh, I mean, social media is amazing. I never had a social yeah. media account until I started the podcast a year and a half ago. And I was just blown away by, you know, what you could actually accomplish on there. If you can kind of sift through all the negativity that's on there, because right. there's like so much garbage that's on there. But if you look at it, you have access to all these different people. And I look for Dean Kane. The first thing in his bio on, on all of his accounts is father. And then it has yeah. filmmaker, actor, all this other stuff. So I really look for guys that have that in their bio, whether it be first or in their bio together. And then, you know, I look at what messages they're putting out and then, you know, I'll reach out to them, whether a, a DM or, a, or a, an email if available, or then I'll research on Google to find out who their agents are and I'll uh, reach out to them. And then once you have the guests on, they may recommend a guest or right. they may uh, give you, you know, I, I've had, I have a thing called Frogman Friday where I bring a Navy SEAL on every week. I've had over 40 Navy SEALs on the show just because now I have Navy SEALs that reach out saying, hey, I seen you had my, my buds mate, this guy, I'd like to come on the show. So it's like it kind of uh, evolved rapidly with the community inside the SEALs. And so now I've had all these conversations. I've even helped a couple of them start their own podcasts. So it's like these are guys mm -hmm. I used to read about and, and dream about like trying to capture just a piece of their mindset. Now I have developed relationships with these guys. So um, it's been yeah. a, an amazing journey for me, you know, to, to be able to speak to guys like that. And then, of course, guys like Dean Kane and, and, and NFL players like Deion Sanders and uh, Kurt Warner and all these guys. Yeah. So talk about that for a minute. I mean, it's it's hard work to get the podcast out and get going. It can be hard to stay committed or focus all that. But, but you know, like for us, one of the perks is finding people like you, like connecting with people like you and getting to talk to you and learn from you and all that. Do you have like the same kind of like experience or, or mindset around it? Like, what do you learn from your guests? You know, what, is, what do you take away from getting to speak to people? Like for me, I get to speak to people and interview people and get into their stories that I would never meet outside of this platform that we have, right? But when you have the podcast, you get to reach out to people and say, hey, this is our platform and you fit it great and we'd love to include you, right? Do you, do you find that same kind of like ripple effect or perk of, of doing the podcast that you get to meet people that you wouldn't normally get to meet? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I'm blown away sometimes by, you know, I'll, I'll catch myself in the moment, which I, I, I've made it a point to try to be focused and present in the moment that I'm in. And, and I really um, enjoy the conversations that I have with so many of these guys. It's been, it's, it's been a, it just, uh, priceless for me, the information and the knowledge that I've gained from them, whether it be during the interview or even after the interview and, and relationships that I've established uh, beyond the interview. And uh, it, it, I'm, listen, I'm a young parent. My, my oldest is 13. My youngest is five. She's my girl. So uh, I have a lot of 
uh, a lot of heavy fathering to do coming down the mm -hmm. road here. I'm just about to get into the meaty part of the whole uh, fatherhood, you know, fun. So uh, yeah, I've been yeah. able to gain a little bit of wisdom and insight and experience from guys that have been through it all and their grandfathers now and, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I've taken many notes. I have the trans uh, transcriptions from all my interviews to go back and say, hey, what did uh, you know, such and such say about this scenario or that scenario. So it's been very beneficial to me and, and to so many of the listeners that I have out there, especially the new dads that hit me up all the time saying, Hey, uh, I loved what, you know, Ed Milet said on the show today about using social media and using your cell phone or whatever it may be. People pick up on different things. And, and that's the thing of the show. Like I open it up to, you know, all type of different dads that can relate single dads and divorced dads, dads that have buried their children. And uh, it, it's, there's something in there for everybody to find. And the catalog runs so deep of dads that have been on the show. So if you're into the NFL, there's plenty of NFL dads. If you're into the military, there's plenty of military dads. You know, whatever, whatever genre you're really into, you're going to find a dad on my show that's talking about being a father. Yeah, that is so cool. What is one of the things that's happened to you during a podcast interview that like you didn't foresee it had to, you know, I'm thinking about our own experience. We've had some crazy stuff happen during interviews, right? And you have to kind of bounce with what's one of those stories that you have from, from an interview. I know yeah, you got to have them. Yeah, well, one that, <laughs> that sticks out in my head is I was yeah. so excited to get the, uh, an interview with Marcus Luttrell, the, the lone uh -huh. survivor. And I had him and his wife, Melanie, were going to join. Now I do all my, mo most of mine are all audio recorded. They're not video recorded. Some okay. are, but the majority of them are audio. And I use an app. I use, I do everything with my iPhone. I never used anything else. So I record on the phone, edit on the phone, publish on the phone, everything. Huh? So I use this app on my phone to record the calls. And it took me forever to get this interview with Marcus Luttrell and to get time to schedule it. And it was all set up. And I get him on the phone and I'm like, okay. So I hit the button to, to merge my calls to my app. And the app kept crashing on me and I couldn't get the app to open up and to record. So I had to tell, like, I didn't know what to do. It was the first time that ever happened to me. So I was like, I had no other way of recording the interview. And I, I was asking if there's a way we could reschedule it. So we, he was like, okay, we'll reschedule it. So we reschedule it. I had, I updated the app. It worked perfectly. And the second time I got him, it crashed again. On oh me. my I had God. So I didn't know if he was going to be like, yo, this guy is so yeah, amateur yeah, yeah. that I'm not going to get involved because he hosts a very yeah. popular podcast himself. So, mm -hmm. uh, but he was very understanding him and his wife and the interview went very well and everything like that. But it was one of those moments where I was, I, I panicked. Like I was like, I can't believe I got Marcus Luttrell on the phone right now. And, and this app keeps crapping out on me here. So. Yeah. That's tough when you do that and you just swallow it. That happened to us when we were interviewing Tig Tigan. I think you had him on your show too. And I was like, yes. I can't believe I got a Benghazi. Got, like, I was so nervous. And we did it live with him and his, his didn't have Chrome on his laptop. So as we're going live, like this whole disaster happened. I'm like, oh boy. But you know, that stuff happens, right? And you got to just roll with it. It's harder when you're live. Like we shouldn't yeah. have done that live. But you know, we were live when that happened and just poof, crashed and burned for a minute. It, there was yeah. one too. when when Because <laughs> yeah. another guy that was really hard for yeah. me to get was Deion Sanders. And he called me while I was picking up my kids from school and they were playing like out in front of the school. And his agent called me on the phone and said, hey, Deion's here. Let's do the interview. And it was unexpected because I had been on him and pursuing. I must have sent oh, 60 emails back and forth between <laughs> Dion's manager and myself. And out of the blue, unexpectedly, he calls me. And I, I said to the guy next to me, I said, hey, could you watch my kids real quick? I got Dion Sanders on the phone. And he looked at me like, get out of town. Like, you know, I, so I walked around the parking lot. The reception was shoddy. And the, but I got the interview in, you know, you know, it wasn't the best quality, but I got it in. So. You got to just go with it when it happened. When you said you were back and forth with the emails, what, were they first like 
saying no or was it just finding the time? Yeah, at first it was more like, well, Dion expressed interest on social media that he wanted to do the podcast. So once he did that, I started to hone in. Uh, he gave me the mm-hmm. contact in a, in a DM to reach out to. So that guy okay. kept kind of giving me the brush off and I, I just kept following up with him. So I'm, I'm, like I said, I must've had about 60 correspondence back and forth with the guy, you know, for about six, seven months before I got the interview with Dion. So that is and another important point. Well, no, ahead. I was just saying, that's just while, while that's going on, you know, I'm still continuing to try to get other guests. And I, I got the ratio down. Uh, it's about for every 10 dads that I'll reach out to, I'll get one. So I really trust and have faith in the ratio now. So we're like three guys will say maybe three guys will right. never respond. Three guys will say, um, you know, okay, okay, but not follow up. And one guy I actually will get. So it's like, once I start getting the rejection letters, I get excited now because I know I'm that much closer to getting another guest. So uh, I've turned the way I look at it all completely around. Yeah. Which is crazy considering that you do five a week. Like, so that's a lot of reaching out to do. It's time consuming to reach out and you don't want to just like send that email and be another email in the inbox, you know, kind of thing. And so you got to narrow it in. Um, but there's value in pursuing that and pushing through because if you believe in it, right, you're going to find the time, find the time to do it. So what do you, what do your wife and kids think of all this? They love it. Uh, you know, m- my kids are like my best salesmen because they're always uh, handing out my business card and always talking <laughs> about awesome. the show. I got invited to my son's uh, school because they were doing a podcast thing last year. So they invited me to come in and speak to the kids. I've gotten other uh, schools from around the country that have uh, reached out to me and I've done video, uh, live video chats with classrooms about podcasting and, and how to go about it and stuff like that. But, you know, my kids have been on the show all but my middle guy who's hounding me and I, I it's been my bad. I haven't had him on the show yet, so I got to get him in there. <laughs> um, but they all love it. You know, I mean, they're all in on it. They're, uh, and, for, and if anything doesn't turn out from this bar, but down the line when my kids start having kids of their own, they're going to have just this whole catalog yeah. of information of their dad talking to all these well-known people about issues that they're going to be facing with their kids. So, I mean, it's a gold mine worth of, of conversations for them to listen to. It is. And you know, as the mom of four kids who my husband was killed in 2005. So hearing you say that, that's like a gift, right? To have and not to be morbid or, or anything like that. But you know, I'm very aware of our, our mortality and, you know, and have this wish list of things that I wish I'd gotten done with my husband, like a video like that, I think, is what I'm getting to would be priceless for anybody to have of anybody that they love and lose, you know, to have that video um, and to be able to go back and look at that collection. Like that's going to be, that's just so cool. That's one of the best things I think that you could give to someone who loves you, um, you know, when you, when you're gone is to leave that little piece of you behind. So that's just another side effect or ripple effect that maybe I hadn't even thought of until you just said it, but that's so awesome. And I think it's so beautiful. And I think that alone would be enough to drive you to, you know, to keep doing that. What would be your advice to a father, for instance, like my fiance and partner, Dave, he was three years old when his own dad killed himself. Right. So he grew up without a father. And I know a lot of people like my kids grew up without a dad. My, my husband was murdered, you know, like, so there could be a lot of bitterness as you grow up or, and maybe for some people that would say, well, I'm never going to be a dad because I had this terrible experience and I know what it's like and I don't want to do that. Or they could just be completely clueless on how to be a father because they didn't have that example. And maybe they're afraid to do so or just give up on it before the bat. What would be your advice to somebody who grew up without a father and now 
they're about to become a father or maybe they are a father and feel like they're, they don't know what they're doing. Um, you know, and they, they look at that as the reason, well, I didn't have the role model, so I'll never know, you know? Yeah. I, I think it really goes back to what we were talking about before, Barb, is just that if you're in that type of situation, which yeah. I, I, I mean, I talk about on my show parenting without parents, cause I lost both of my parents before I became a father. Uh, but I did grow up with my dad, so I don't have the experience. So what I would suggest is, like, like we were talked about earlier, is find somebody who has been in that position before and who is a successful father now and see what advice or what trails they've left behind on how they were able to overcome that situation. And, and I think it's, it's a big problem that we're having right now. There's a fatherless crisis in our country right now. There's way too many kids are growing up without a father in the home, and it's causing devastating results in all of our communities. So um, I, I think that um, seeking advice, seeking help from others that have been in your shoes is the best way to approach that. You know, finding a successful father that's been in that situation and, and reading about him or, or, or listening to what he has to say and trying to follow in those footsteps. I mean, success leaves a trail, you know, so uh, I, I would suggest trying to uh, pick up on the trail. What's one of the nuggets that you've got from a guest that, you know, maybe you hadn't thought of or come across before that you've been like, oh man, that's, genius or, you know, money and applied it in your own world? Well, one of the things that, that comes to mind, right, when you say that is uh, entrepreneur Ed Milet, who has a very successful show of yeah. his own, and he's, he went from zero to, you know, half a billion dollar uh, entrepreneur. And one of the things that he said when we were talking about technology, which is a struggle for all dads out there, I'm sure you know, I mean, we're all battling with technology. Uh, one of the things he said was, it's a good idea if you put your son's or your daughter's goals have them save it as their screensaver on their phone because the average person checks their phone, you know, 100, 150 times a day. So if you have your, you know, maybe list of five big goals that are on, you know, on your current mind, put them as a screensaver on your phone. This way you're subconsciously checking your phone thousands of times each month and you're hammering those goals home. Uh, so that was something that I, and I'm a goal set oriented person and I had never heard that or thought of that before. And I immediately did that for myself. And then did it for my, uh, my oldest son is the only one that has the smartphone now. So he's the one that we put it on. Uh, so he has a chance, you know, grade that he wants to get, subject he needs to study more on. And so he's constantly looking at that throughout the day, hundreds of times. And me too. Like if I have certain podcast goals or whatever my goals are relationship wise or, or, or father wise, I have them on my phone and I'm constantly drilling them into my head, whether I know it or not. Cause I'm I, like everybody else. I check my phone multiple times a day. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, I, watch Ed Milet's interviews a lot and I listen to him a lot and I must have missed that one. But that's like a good nugget, you know, that's, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. So right before we started this, we were just chatting and I was asking you how you get some of these, you know, guests or, and you said one of the things that you've done is, you know, you mentioned that you have White House credentials and, and when you're going down to DC to speak at this amazing conference that I also didn't know about, um, you're going to pop in. I'm just going to pop into the White House and like reestablish it. To you, it sounds so normal, but it really, you know, is not in the average person's vocabulary, right? So talk about that. Like what even, why did you get White House credentials? How did you go about it? And what, you know, what, how has that helped you? Well, one of the things, like I mentioned, I'm an avid reader. One of the books um, that I read was The Magic of Thinking Big. And it's a common theme that you hear uh, along the, you know, personal development, self-help genre, whatever it may be, is thinking bigger. And I've bought into that philosophy. And I, I, when I was doing the podcast and started to gain success, the first thing I started thinking is, how big can I get? 
who's the biggest guest that I could go after? Where would be the biggest event where I could interview the top dad? So one of those was uh, the Super Bowl. Who's the best player before even the Super Bowl? Who's the best player in the NFL? Tom Brady. So I was thinking, I got to interview Tom Brady. And, I, and where, how can I do that? I tried reaching out, never got any response, nothing like that. So I applied for the uh, Super Bowl press pass for, the, for media day. And I wrote, uh, you know, an ex- now here's a, this, I mean, this, this will go to tell you about your, what your imagination and your pursuit can do for you. Um, I applied for my Super Bowl uh, media day pass after the deadline was over. And they sent me the rejection <laughs> letter saying that, um, you know, sorry, but it's closed out. You can try to reach out to such and such to see if they can help you with whatever contact they gave me there. Um, I hammered away at it. And what I did was I trusted in my belief. I didn't believe in the reality of saying that you were denied for it. All I did was uh, persist in the assumption that I've already interviewed Tom Brady. Now, it sounds crazy when people ask me this, but it's like it says in the Bible, whatsoever you ask for in prayer, believe you have received it and it will be yours. You know, it doesn't say believe you're going to get it and you'll get it. It says believe you have received it. And that's backed up. Now, I'm a very amateur person when it comes to, to scripture, but I do read it. And it also backs that up in John where it says, uh, this is the confidence you should have when you pray that when you ask God for something, you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know you already have what you've asked for. So it's really in your, the power of your belief and your assumption that you've already got what you've asked for. So I held true to that fact that if I did already uh, interview Tom Brady, what would it be like? What would I see? What would I hear? What would the experience be like? And I walked through that in my imagination time and time again. And then I dropped it and let it be. And I had sent that other email to the one contact they gave me. And the day of media day, which was a Monday, that Sunday night at like one in the morning, which was the Monday of, um, everyone was sleeping. My phone pinged. And it was an email from the Super Bowl committee saying, uh, your Super Bowl media credentials have been approved. Come pick your pass up in Atlanta at the Georgia or the conference center or whatever it was. Uh, so I was like, wow. So I had to wake my wife up. Now we had the kids at school, sports, everything going on. And I, I, she had no idea I even applied for this thing. And I told her, I said, hon, listen, um, I got, I got to take a flight down to Atlanta. She was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, I got approved for these, uh, Pat, I'm going to get a chance to go and interview Tom Brady. And she, she, she thought I was, you know, you know, kidding her along or something. I showed her the email. So I booked the flight that day, shot down there. And, uh, and there I was just at, like, I had believed it. I was right in front of Tom Brady asking him, uh, how did fatherhood change your perspective on life? And so, uh, you know, it, it, I think your belief is really what drives everything. If you can, if you believe something to be true, it is true. So, I mean, that's the way the position I take when I approach certain guests that I reach out to. And I look at things as if like, why wouldn't they want to come on my podcast? You know, and if I looked at it and approached it as, man, I hope they would want to come on. They're not going to want to come on. If you don't believe yeah. it, neither will they. So it's, it's a matter of uh, forging that belief and persisting in the assumption of what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish and believe that the possibility is right for you. So that was how I did it with the Super Bowl. And then thinking after I got the Super Bowl, how much bigger could I possibly get? And I thought, well, what about the president of the United States? You know, how crazy would that be if I could get in front of him, right? Yeah. So I, I did the exact same thing. I, I found, you know, contacts. How do I apply? And I wrote my letters. I wrote my pitch. Got denied, got rejected, tried another angle, tried another angle. And uh, before I knew it, they granted me uh, White House press credentials. Uh, the, you know, so I went down there and getting through Secret Service was uh, w- w- was interesting. 
And I'm right there now all of a sudden with the, all the White House correspondents, uh, Fox News, CNN, NBC. And they're all like, oh, who are you with? And I'm like, oh, first class fatherhood. <laughs> And they're like, what? that's amazing. Are you, are you pulling my chain? What are you doing here? Like, they have no idea. It was kind of the same thing at the Super Bowl. They're like, oh, who are you with? You know, nobody knows. And, and so, I, but I yeah. just, you know, I, I, there I was right in front of President Trump um, on the South Lawn trying to ask him questions about fatherhood and family life. Unfortunately, at one point he pointed at me as if I had the next question and he took the woman next to me. And he, it was actually during the, um, the Mueller uh, whole trial uh. thing that I was down there. And all these people were going bananas in the media, like trying to ask him this and that. And so the woman next to me threw him some kind of curveball question that he went off on a tear and he never came back to me. So, uh, but the option, I was right in front of him. I was, you know, five feet in front of the president trying to get my questions in. I was able to interview like Kellyanne Conway and ask her, what do you think of President Trump as a father? And I interviewed a few other people at the White House. I didn't nail down my number one objective, but the, the door is open. I had I, I established so many contacts down there at the White House now uh, that I'm more confident than ever that I'll be able to pull it off, uh, you know, in the future here. That's cool. And you know what? I bet you he would appreciate that question as opposed to all the other insanity that is yes. coming. Yes, 100%. <laughs> I know he would. I, know, I just got to get in front of him. If he sees and he's aware... Yeah. He'll be he'll be down to talk about it. I know it. Yeah, that would be a great interview. You got to We're gonna we'll continue you know, like staying up on your stuff now because that's definitely one that I watch. Have you ever? Um, do you know who Dr. Joe Dispenza is? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I read yeah, his I'm book. Like, I listen. I listen to his interviews all the time. I, I'm, that's who I'm thinking of when you're talking, right? Um, have you had him on? No, I've reached out. I haven't, but uh, you know, he's definitely somebody on my radar. Uh, I definitely, uh, yeah. I'm influenced heavily by a lot of his uh, philosophy. So yeah, he's definitely a guy that I read a lot about. Yeah, I can, I can see that. And again, when you're talking, I'm like, I bet you he knows exactly who Joe Dispenza. He was telling a story about his daughter and how she wanted like this unlimited shopping spree. Did you have you heard that? And he's like, well, you know, first before you get that. Um, you know, I want you to just visualize it happening and, you know, talk about how it already happened. And she got up and, you know, she went and meditate and she came out and said, oh my gosh, I felt it. It was amazing and all this. And then he goes on to talk about how she was visiting a friend and that friend wound up getting an unlimited shopping spree and she was there and got to get it with it. You know, it's just cool stuff. It's like, yeah. And, and it's like I said, success, <laughs> yeah. success leaves yeah. clues. And whenever you yeah. listen to these athletes that, that are superior athletes, yep. they always talk about how they walk through the stuff in their mind. And everything, everything that we see around us was first a, a thought or an idea or an imaginal yeah. act first, and then it became the reality. So that's kind of the way I persist almost everything that I try to pursue in my life now is if you can't imagine it first, how is it going to be a reality? So um, it, it's just really all about, uh, you know, visualization and taking a potpourri from all these different philosophers and writers and, and successful yeah. people and then shaping it and putting it into a way that's right for you. I mean, that's the fun of it. Yeah, it is. It is. And so now I know that, um, you know, your specialty and your focus is on being a father and your children and all that, but I'm going to throw just a little curve because we're also interested in the other part of your, of your story. And that is, you know, you're a husband as well and your wife, do you want like, open to sharing a little story about how you met your wife? Yeah, I had moved to uh, Bayonne from a, uh, a studio apartment I was living in in Palisades Park. So I moved to in New Jersey for them that don't know. I moved to Bayonne. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a little south of there. It's right by the Holland Tunnel, kind of right across from Staten Island, actually. And uh, I was waiting outside of my apartment building. I was there about maybe five days. I was waiting for my refrigerator to get delivered. So I was sitting outside smoking a cigarette at the time waiting. And this woman came around the corner and stopped in front of the building and was finishing her cigarette before going in. And there was a tire place across the street. I said, oh, what are you waiting for your tires to get fixed? 
She said, no, I live in the building up on the, uh, on the fourth floor. So we started having a conversation. We started talking. One thing led to another. Uh, five months later, we got engaged and then we got married in, uh, we, that was in September. We got engaged that December, got married in February in Vegas and then started having our family. So we've been together, you know, married 15 years since that, that conversation is still going. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. That's good. And it's cool how when you just meet someone, you know, you know, and a lot of people probably told you you were crazy, right? You've only known her of this course. long, yep. when yep. you're crazy, right? And um, yeah, and you guys have certainly stood the test of different challenges and time and even being a parent with no extenuating circumstances is difficult, right? But to be a parent, you know, together and raise children together when you're faced with some of the challenges you were going through and then building the things that you're building as well, man, that's, you know, that's not easy to maintain. So good on both of you. Congratulations on both of you. That's a special yeah. tribute together. Yeah. Thank you. you learn a lot about yourself through the whole process. It's the same thing with being a father. That's the best part yeah. about it is it teaches you about yourself and it will, you know, it, when you think you got it, it reminds you quickly that you don't. Yeah. Did people, um, when you first decided to do your podcast, what was the reaction of the people in your life and the people that like your friends and uh, coworkers and all this, did you tell them or did you just, yeah, you, 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 you know what? I, a lot of people weren't really that surprised because I, I mean, if, for excuse my language here, but it's like, I'm a guy that throws a lot of shit at the wall and it's yeah. mostly been <laughs> diarrhea, you know, but I always continue to fire away. So yeah. people would just be like, Oh, here's the next thing he's doing. Right. Because I mean, I, like I said, I was the super in my apartment building. You know, I, I always have done side work as a mechanic. Um, I've always driven a cab. I had a part-time uh, uh, vending machine company that I started up. I mean, I've always had my hand in something trying to improve or trying to find the next thing. I've written two uh, fictional thrillers uh, that I was pushing uh, for a while there that people, you know, were like, man, what's he up to now? And so I really, I, I've gotten to the point where I, I really, I don't pay attention too much to what the people have to say, whether it's negative and sometimes even if it's positive, sometimes you can't tell whether someone's just blowing smoke up your ear or they're being sincere. So um, it's really not their opinions that I focus on. It's really the, the, the reaction of the people uh, who I don't know. And I get honest feedback because you need to know what stinks and what's good. And sometimes, you know, people close to you won't be as honest as, as the reader or as the listener will be. So I really, I'll take all that feedback in and, and, and do my best to improve upon it. Right. So we focus a lot here at American Snippets on the American dream. It's what drives us to do what we're doing. It's important to us. And one thing we make clear to people who just instantly dismiss it or say, oh, that's bullshit. You know, it doesn't exist because they think it's a cookie cutter American dream that we're talking about. But once we say, no, the American dream is unique to everybody. It doesn't look the same for any two people. And we start having a conversation with them about what their version of the American dream is. That's where things get interesting. We realize that we can link them with resources. But that is also what leads me to my question to you now, which I love to ask, is what is your version of the American dream? Uh, for me, it's adding value. I, I think that's the, you know, the American dream. I think a lot of us get lost in that whole thing, but just like you said there, thinking that we're, we are deserved uh, you know, to get the American dream. Like it's someone, I speak to a lot of guys that have come here uh, as immigrants and I've said, you know, a lot of the philosophies, they're going to show up here and someone's going to hand them the American dream. And that's not the case. So you've got to work for it. America is a ladder to climb, you know, and it's uh, the possibilities are open for everybody that wants to work hard and pursue whatever happiness means to you, whatever success means to you. You have that opportunity to pursue it here and nobody can stop you. Only yourself can. So it's all the possibilities are there. It just depends on how much work you want to put into it. And a lot of the blame 
goes towards, well, uh, the country or the government or the politics or the wages or whatever it is, uh, it, it comes down to how much value you can bring to the marketplace is really all that matters. And everyone's caught up with how much am I going to get paid for the hour? Minimum wage should be $20,000 an hour and we should keep raising the minimum wage. But we're not paid for the time. We're paid for the value that we bring to the time. So if we want to get paid more money, uh, we got to become more valuable. And I think that's really how you start to establish the American dream is by adding more value to whatever your niche is or whatever your genre is. Bring the most value possible because we all have the same amount of time. You cannot get any more time, but you can get more value. You can bring more value and you can get paid for more value. So the more you increase your value, uh, the more money you'll have, the more success you'll have, and the more fun you're going to have, the more freedom you're going to have, and, and, and just continue to go in that direction. So I think adding value to whatever industry you're into is, is the dream. Awesome. So if people want to find out more about you and subscribe to your podcast, maybe recommend some guests or be on your podcast, um, where can they go? Yeah, my website's firstclassfatherhood.com and I'm pretty much everywhere now. I mean, if I'm on Instagram at Alec Lace and at First Class Fatherhood, uh, Twitter at Alec underscore Lace, but I'm available on, you know, podca- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, whatever it is. If you Google First Class Fatherhood, you'll find a way to get in touch with me, you know. And, and a lot of people don't know too, my name isn't really Alec Lace. It's an anagram of my children's names because my kids are uh, Aiden, Logan, Emily, and Chris. So I use the first... <laughs> initial of their names and made the name Alec Lace. So it's, it's pretty cool that everybody that I meet, you know, it's there was like, Hey, Alec, and it's this thing that I've created, which makes it so much more special. <laughs> so you have like a secret identity and only those people yeah. who really know you get to know your real name. Yep. Oh you're like yeah. Bat, you're like Batman. Yeah. Batman. My kids get a kick out of it because they're involved in the name. <laughs> yeah, Alec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a way to incorporate them into the whole puzzle here. Oh, that's awesome. You know, it didn't even occur to me to, to dig into that because well, that's cool. That's cool. I feel like I failed in my research now. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I got to I gotta dig into my research a little better. But uh, okay, Alec or whatever your name is, thank you so much <laughs> for spending the time to sit down and talk with us today. Thank you for the example that you said on having that mission that you believe in and picking up and just going out there to do it um, for raising that bar high and showing people what's possible. You've certainly driven me to do more and I'm not even a father, right? Um, <laughs> so I love it. I think your message is is for everybody, um, certainly specific to fathers you know, on your podcast, but your story and your example are for everyone. And I thank you for sharing that with our audience here today. Thank you very much, Barbara. It was an honor to be on with you. Thanks. All right, everyone, there you have it. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Alec Lace for being here as well. Don't forget to check out his podcast, First Class Fatherhood. It's a really great show. It's really incredible, the guests that he's uh, he's had on the show uh, over this short period of time. If you want to learn more about Alec, just head on over to americansnippets.com. Check out the most recent episode, the featured uh, uh, podcast of the week. Uh, we do a full write-up on, on Alex and his story, and we also include some links there to his social media profiles and, of course, his podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Um, if you got any value out of today's episode or any episode that we've done in the past, please share this with a friend, uh, share one of your favorite episodes on social media, and, of course, 
please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. iTunes reviews go a really long way in helping us get these stories out there in front of more people. So again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. (laughs) 